Hi there, and welcome back to Better Call Shaul, where your hosts Shaul and Levy take on topics within spirituality, mental health, and the low life and culture of Judaism. With the great advancements in understanding mental health, is modern psychology, medicine, and therapy being of service to those suffering with their mental health? This episode, your host met with Johnny Simmons, a mental health peer coach at the NHS. Johnny shared with us his own lived experience of enduring mental health challenges, diagnosis, suicide, and treatment. Being a practitioner with lived experience of mental health issues, he shared a real understanding of living with mental health conditions and why the current system we have in place may just be adding fuel to the fire. Welcome back to another episode of Better Call Shaw. We're here with Johnny Simmons. We're going to be talking about mental health. What does that mean exactly? Johnny is a peer coach at Camden and Islington NHS Foundation Trust, Choice, and Control Program and part of the principal psychology, maybe you can tell us a bit about that. A speaker and a training producer, Johnny is committed to improving the world through insight and understanding and particularly in the area of, the, of mental health. And Johnny is, uh, is one of my favorite people, so I'm looking forward to this discussion today. I've known Johnny for a long time and he's somebody who's certainly been through challenges in, in his life in, in the area of mental health and that's why we've got him here because he's somebody who's kind of been through what he's been through to a great extent I would say come out the other end and, and is in a very different place in his life now and is really committed to making a difference in the world in this area and, and is really uh, you know contributing in a significant way so it's really good to have you Johnny. I, I thought Johnny you might um, just start with a little bit of a background mm-hmm. into yourself and your experiences you know what is your sort of sort of your your credibility in this area and you've unfortunately <laughs> got plenty of it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, thank you, Sean Levy. So I'll give you a very abridged summary. Perhaps one day I might do a separate talk about giving a bit more background if there's any interest. But yeah, essentially, as Shaul said, uh, I have an extensive background in the subject of, of what used to be called mental illness, in that I come from a family with a mum who's a GP and a grandpa who's a GP, and so the, the traditional uh, medical model view of mental illness Without going into all my, my family background, let's say I grew up aware of different family members who had their struggles and, and possible diagnoses. And I started struggling in my teenage years, but being very reluctant to, to speak too much about it because of the awareness of, of diagnosis. But nonetheless, it, it particularly started hitting me at, at university, and it wasn't too long before I was given an official diagnosis when I was 23. At that point, I worked in a, a completely different area. I, I was in business and, and doing the best I could with a, a diagnosis that I was increasingly being encouraged to, to accept, to make life choices and adjustments based on the fact that I had a so-called mental illness, and I lived with it. What was the diagnosis, Johnny? So originally it was depression, and it became, uh, then there was talk about it being manic depression before the name changed, and then in 2002 it was officially said to be bipolar disorder. Hmm. And so yeah, I I say I lived with, I I struggled living with this illness, but but still living life as I intended, if that made sense, and, and doing the best I could, working very hard, but struggling every couple of years or possibly becoming a bit more frequent uh, in this time I uh, took medication and I did all the things that in the the, the system mental system we would describe as a patient being compliant I worked with the doctors I didn't want to 
as much as it didn't sit right with me necessarily what they were saying about me, um, I could see, well, okay, if, if the doctors were saying something, I had not blind faith in them, but I wanted to cooperate and wanted to do the best I could to help myself. Uh, and being completely frank, I, looking back, it, it wasn't working. We'll talk a bit more about medication and stuff later, but um, I got to 32, and despite doing all the things as best as I could, I was struggling more and more. And in that time, had dealt with, with suicide. And eventually, at 32, for the final time in my life, um, I, I described it as I committed suicide, because the final time I did it, I'd done it kind of twice or attempted twice before. The final time I did it, I, I was fully committed to it. And we can talk more about that, but let's just say the fact that it, I didn't succeed made me more determined. Until eventually, thank God, I, um, someone, being a friend of mine, Shaul, kind of put the idea out there that maybe I, the conventional way I saw mental illness myself wasn't necessarily the only way to see it. And that slowly, very slowly, took me down a direction of starting to understand what I kind of refer to now as the human experience differently and in turn, thank God, have learned to relate to my own experience and live with different aspects of, of my personality and my struggles as they were in a way that life feels a lot easier uh, and has let me live an unlimited life compared to perhaps how at one point in time I felt maybe I should limit my life, if that makes mm. sense. That's great, Johnny. Thank you. That's a really uh, great synopsis. And, you know, as you say it, you know, it makes me a little sad because, you know, I think if you say that you committed suicide or that you were committed to it, and I think it was really, you know, you'll say yourself it was almost miraculous that it didn't work. I don't know all the details, but from what I hear from you, you've done all the right things <laughs> and it just, uh, for some reason, it just didn't happen. And it makes me sad because I think of you, you know, as a very sort of special person and uh, such a kind and loving person and kind of so much to offer the world and you, you, you know, you're, you're married now and you have two beautiful children. I think of people who actually succeeded, mm -hmm. you know, people who would have been just like you, who could have lived lives just like you, who did what you did and succeeded in doing it. And, and it's such a shame. It's such a tragedy yeah. that because of this mental illness, they, they and, and, and our inability in our society, uh, try as we might, our inability to help them, it's very sad that we, that we lose people like that and people suffer so much in the world as a result of it. So the, the first thing I wanted to ask you, coming back on to um, something you kind of touched on, I remember you came and you gave a talk to my, to my rabbis, the training program I'm running for rabbis, and it really, it really resonated with me something that you said there, which was you asked them all, when you think of mental health, what do you think of? <laughs> And we, they went around the room and people said, well, I think of depression and I think of, um, you know, anxiety and I think of bipolar and I think of addiction. And I think of da, 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 da. And you pointed out, and I want you to talk more about this a little bit, you pointed out that that's mental health. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, well, we've got mental illness. We know that's really bad. And, and this is mental health for what's left human beings it's a bit sad so do you want to kind of say a little bit more about that because it really resonated with me when you talked about it so it's interesting just before you asked that question you talked about others who perhaps were successful in, in committing the act that they they set out to uh, who were struggling with mental illness and this is a really key thing for me in terms of seeing life differently now and seeing mental distress mm. 
mental ill health that can result from the extreme distress, but not mental illness in the context as, as, as I grew up understanding it in terms of a, a lifelong diagnosis mm -hmm. that is life limiting. Uh, mm -hmm. Even to this day, we, in terms of medical guidelines, certain conditions and, and the one that I suffer from or and, and, and accept I'm on the spectrum, whatever that might be, or have a predisposition to certain traits of, bipolar is seen as a lifelong and life-limiting condition. And what I got to see is the extent that we are, each and every one of us, regardless of circumstance and background, we're, we're human beings doing the best we can in the situation we find ourselves, the resources we have available. I say two other things, which is, the understanding we have of life at that point and the understanding we have of the, the, the factors at play in our life at that point in time. We're trying to make sense of it. And very often it doesn't make sense. And the more we try to, to force it down the direction we want, the more we, we struggle, the mm -hmm. more we're coming up with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like you're, you're giving a diagnosis or giving a label to something is trying to come to that clarity it's like we can't we can't figure out what's going on we can't help it so it makes us feel a bit more secure if we give it a diagnosis at least we can box it in, in you know yeah in that box. yeah yeah it's not taking into account that human beings are so complex that you just stick on a label to solve a problem or oh, that, like that's so human it. you know yeah that's that's this the humanness of human beings you can't put anybody in any box ever and it, it what i think you're pointing to as a society is we struggle when others are struggling yeah. Particularly. We, when we're struggling, we want to get out of that struggle. But particularly when we're seeing a loved one or, or, or someone, we can sometimes go into to our fear of, of yeah. what might come. But also we want to ease that pain. Yeah. And so often it leads to, to interventions in one form or another that don't necessarily help the person with where they were at and can often set them off on a trajectory, particularly down the path of once you've, you've received a diagnosis and that may... Uh, quickly lead to medication, say, where where you're looking at it and, and seeing a problem that you believe you've identified, then you fix that problem. But perhaps if there was something underlying that, that the individual could be helped to understand and relate to differently, the struggle would become less and the symptoms that are manifesting at that time of struggle would ease themselves. And we but so I think your question specifically yeah. was about differentiating between, between mental health and mental illness. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that mental health today is, is mental illness. Yeah. Whereas in actual fact, going back to the question I asked your rabbis is, is what is mental health? Mental health is, is that not just feeling good because you're feeling happy. It's, it's feeling at peace. It's feeling at ease. It's existing in a, a state of mind that's not racing. That's not overly stressed. That's not, increasingly exhausted and panicked yeah. that can be at a pace that's that's manageable and that's where life is enjoyable yeah that's when we're healthy in the same way as if you're physically unfit and someone asks you to, to run for a bus you're not just possibly gonna really struggle on the way there. you might not even get there but you might just get there and you're gonna be sweating like a pig and exhausted and, and struggling to catch your breath, maybe having a very painful stitch. You, you're not in your physical optimum state. Yeah. We live in a space where we can live in a far lighter, mentally healthy state. And other states of mind is where you're not at your optimum mental health. And 
certainly experiencing distress and can fall into ill health. Mm -hmm. And mental ill health is very different in my mind to a diagnosed defining mental illness as such. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong, and certainly anyone that might be listening to this, I, as Shaul might, might encourage me to share later, have, have lived through extensive periods of, of really bad mental health, really distressing, really extremely debilitating states where my ability to function has virtually got to nil. Uh, and I know with so many clients I work with how real that is. Mm -hmm. It's not for one second that I'm diminishing the excruciating pain, agonizing pain, and extreme suffering that one experiences in it. I'm perhaps just simply saying that as a, as a society, as, as human beings living together, our understanding of what's going on for that individual, and most importantly, our ability to help them and help them help themselves and be patient with themselves mm. is where I see the root of a, a, perhaps a lot of, of sustaining a lot of distress and suffering. Um, but the suffering is real in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't deny that or, or want anyone to say, um, oh, okay, so, so it's all in your thinking. Right. You might explain why behind the scenes there's a lot in the thinking, but it in the moment and in that distress is not simple. Very real. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, oh, absolutely. And I've, I've kind of seen that with you, Johnny, you know, over the years, you know, kind of the distress that I've kind of seen you go through and the suffering has just been absolutely extreme and distressing to just see you go through that and, and be involved in that. But at the same time, the reason I wanted to have this conversation with you is because you're somebody who I see, you know, the past few years doing so much better mm -hmm. and, and you really seem to have kind of found a path for yourself mm -hmm. through what is an ex a real extreme diagnosis mm -hmm. and, and, you know, something society looks at as, like you said, pretty much incurable, mm -hmm. something you've got to live with for the rest of your life and yet you're doing so well with it and, and you're really doing so well in your life and, and I think you offer a lot of hope in my mind to, to other people out there who are suffering the same way or who are trying to help uh, uh, loved ones who are kind of going through the same painful and challenging experience. So that's why, you know, to me, a bit of a poster boy for the <laughs> possibilities that, that kind of come along with this. So getting to the, I think this question is that kind of the crux of it, uh, you know, and I'm interested to see what you've got to say on it, actually. I'll just kind of read it out as, a, as I've written it. Is modern psychology, medicine, therapy, being of service to those suffering with their mental well-being? <laughs> we'll, we'll ask a really that's, simple question. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's, okay. let's get down how many, to it. How many parts are there to answer that? Exactly, question? I know. And there's a lot to um, that. And I just put medication on the side for a minute. It's all you need to ask. Yeah. I'll ask that separately. So, yeah. So, first things first, I'm not wearing it today, but as Cheryl and Levy referenced, I, I'm, I'm proud and grateful to, to work part time within National Health Service, within a mental health trust. And, and I know from being part of it, how well intentioned everyone who works in that area is. So I don't for one second want to appear critical in answering your question and say, your question is, is it helping? And I don't want to say, no, it's doing a terrible job. But I would say that it has, first off, the, the, there, is, there is a shift. We're, in the, we're at a point in time where we're carving a, a new path very slowly, but, but no doubt, and that is, towards a vision, as I would say, of, 
of being peer-led mental health services rather than psychiatric-led. We'll talk more about that later. But is it helping? As well-intentioned as it is, a lot of actions that, that happen happen out of a fear and an attempt to try and control situations to prevent them escalating, to prevent the God forbid from happening. Mm. And in my experience, in our best intended efforts, too often we unintentionally cause more problems than we solve, if I'm being really honest. Mm. Both in terms of taking people down paths of, of treatment that are sort of typically the, the recommended nice guidelines for, for treatment that perhaps aren't keeping, aren't changing quite as quickly as the, 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 the sense of how the, the system is evolving. But also by mere nature of the fact that when we intervene in someone's life, which we do from a place of care, we, we take their life to, to the side and put it on a different tra trajectory. And very often don't afford the individual the opportunity to make sense of and begin to understand what's happening for them at that point. Mm. Instead, we set them on a course where hopefully, in, in most cases, because actually life does get better, we, we kind of, we rise to the surface most of the time. Often they perceive, or the individual perceives, and certainly I did for a long time, that okay, right, well, I was unwell, now I'm better, I must avoid doing the things that I did that led to me getting unwell, or I must learn to recognize the, the certain behavior that maybe I exhibited or things I experienced as early warning signs to steer away from that. And it's not that I'm not saying that there is a, a value in being aware and self-aware and, and spotting patterns and, and signs, but to live life in fear mm. isn't really doesn't enable you to live the best life that I believe each and every one of us can live. So in answer, is it helping? In my mind, true help helps an individual be the best individual, that, be the best person they can be, mm -hmm. rather than limiting them and trying to prevent the God, the God forbid, the worst from happening, but at the same time, keeping them trapped. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. and, I understand. It, it's like, what, what I'm hearing you say is you're looking to manage a situation and keep it limited within a, a box of keep it, keep the consequences of it, you know, sort of as limited as you can without necessarily trying to look and see, can we solve the problem? Yeah. And do we, do we know how, do we have any understanding as to how to solve the problem? And I'll just eject for one second though. Yeah. Because even that terminology, can we solve the problem? Yeah. The use of the word problem yeah, in itself is something I can't just let you kind of say. Yeah, no, no, thank you for picking me up on this journey. Actually, I agree with you. Uh, well, okay, I won't interrupt you. You get the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I very much get the point. I do, I do. I would look at it more as, you know, society's come a long way in terms of mental illness and how we judge mental illness. We used to lock people up and throw away the key, you know, put them in straitjackets and, and hope for the best, you know, feed them here and there and, and just lock them away long term. So, We've certainly come a long way and there's a lot more respect for mental illness, recognition of it and, and recognition of the innocence of people um, um, struggling with it and suffering with it. So I, I think we have come a long way, but I, st I still think there is a way to go, quite a long way to go actually still, in terms of realising or recognising. I mean, 
like you say, I don't even know if I'd call it mental illness mm. because that implies there's something wrong with a person. Yeah. People have journeys in life and people have the, the journeys they go on. Everybody has their challenges and, and, it's, all, and it's different for all of us. And, and in my mind, this person is just on a different journey. And what you want to do is you want to try and support them on that journey and respect them on that journey and, and, and help them find their way on that journey. Whereas what, what I see going on, and, and this is what I'm hearing and what you're saying, and really this is a little bit new for me, I never thought of this before until you were just talking about it, is that there's almost a parallel between what's known as mental illness, and we'll just keep, we'll use the word kind of just because that's the, the parlance, and sort of physical illness. Mm. And so in the same way as if you look at physical illness, a person has, a, has a, uh, an infection, so we give them antibiotics, and, and those antibiotics will, in the most circumstances, fairly well guarantee that we're going to make them better. It's like external intervention solves the problem, mm. you know, in, in physical illness. And, and it seems like, at least in people's minds, there's a parallel in mental illness that, that well, we just need, like over there, over here, external intervention will solve the problem. And that's really not how it goes. No. And it's totally and utterly and completely different. I, I don't think... You know, it's, it's almost like we do a disservice to mental illness to put it in, in, in the field of, of medicine, in the field of, of you know, um, um, health. It should be his physical health, and that's one area. And then something totally and utterly different is, is mental well-being and what people do with that. But calling people doctors and, and, and we go to hospitals and, and wards and, and, and that whole kind of type of thing puts it in the same category as physical illness and that so we have a mindset that ah external intervention is what solves people's problems and it really doesn't solutions need to come from them solutions need to come from within and that's like the peer-led sort mm. of approach that you're talking about and and, and I, I really see that that's that until kind of system you say it's shifting and i'm glad to hear that mm. but until it shifts i think we're gonna we're gonna unfortunately be struggling with helping people you know, would you, would you, is that, is that? Yeah, tremendously. And it's a complete false economy because yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the resistance to finding the means to, to help people in this area yeah. actually fails to help them fundamentally mm. and creates a system that costs an awful lot of money to, to contain them, mm. if you like. Mm. And not just does that cost a lot, yeah. but it actually has a huge loss in, in terms of not enabling them to, to fulfill their potential, both for themselves yeah. to feel fulfilled and the knock-on effect of what they end up contributing to society. Mm. I, I know, mm. and this is a whole other conversation, but there was a period, a couple of periods in my life when I was living on benefits, when I'd come out through um, what might be described as a complete breakdown in life, um, and was on those couple of occasions so scared of, of, of what had happened happening again and, and having to believe that it was as a result simply of illness, etc. etc. Mm -hmm. that, that I held myself back massively for fear that it would be a vicious circle. Yeah. And I see so many people fall into that trap and so many loving family members who, when you ask them in their heart of hearts what they want for their family members, child, partner, mm, whatever, yeah, yeah. and yet what are they doing? They, they answer the question from a fear of what they don't want, rather than yeah. what they really do want. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. coming back to something you quickly touched on about, about mental illness, the, the term psychiatry 
is a fascinating one in that, sadly, most psychiatrists don't know where the, the term came from in the first place. The physician that, that first coined that term, so he wasn't a psychiatrist because he, he came up with the concept, wrote what he envisioned for the field of psychiatry was medicine for the soul. It wasn't medicine for the brain to fix a problem. It was the help, the caring that the medical profession can bring to helping an individual in distress. And, and that we have lost sight of, and we're almost perceiving that there is a specific brain problem. If you'll indulge me for one second, I'll just say something about this because it's one of the, the debates I come up against and, and have come up against so much in my life, the question of a chemical imbalance. Mm. And there is no doubt in my mind that, that in someone's, as I've experienced myself, when one is in the greatest state of distress, one's whole life, one's whole experience of life is not as it is when we're in a healthy state. And so the balance of all the chemicals in us, if you like, that help us sleep on a regular basis, that help us feel at ease and not on edge and not very tense, they're not regulating as they would normally. But the point I'm hoping comes across is I don't believe that is a predetermined imbalance mm. that's going to show up at some point in some time. Yeah. I believe that, that any <clears throat> one of us, forget the, the, the idea of one in four, any one of us should a few events go, go against us and I'll find ourselves in, that, in a state of increasing dysfunction and increasing distress, we'll find ourselves out of kilter. Mm. And in turn, it, it can spill over to, to manifesting and affecting every other aspect of our life. And once we are operating at, from a place of exhaustion, from a place of, of, of noise almost, we can't function in every aspect of our life in the way we do when we're healthy. But that, I believe, can, can manifest in anybody and is not a predetermined, you, you were born destined to suffer from this condition or that condition. Right. As much as with diagnoses, some people question family history, I think our, we don't fully appreciate the extent to which we learn behaviours, coping mechanisms, or bad not coping mechanisms, mm -hmm. if you like. Mm -hmm. And also the, what it, the extent to which when you look to see if you find something, invariably you'll, you'll find a trace of it and you'll see it and you'll look for more and more and then you identify it and that's the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do though find, and, and you can have extreme cases where people don't have the capacity altogether mm -hmm. uh, because they're so lost in their minds or wherever they are in life and, and even in a lesser level on the spectrum where someone's just in a really bad place right and you do need kind of that intervention even though they don't completely lack the capacity if they kind of if they got a bit more settled they'd be able to to go in a certain direction but when you have someone who's lost that capacity so maybe you want to talk about in the, in the specifically in the field of medication how mm -hmm. that would play out what would you say to someone like that because i can hear people listening to the conversation like this and being like well it's all very nice helping a person where they're at but at the same time a lot of people, when they're in a bad place, they lose that capacity to, mm. to find themselves. You know, it's not just someone who can come swoop in and give them direction. It's sometimes it's someone who can swoop in and do that a bit of that damage control, make sure that everything's under control and, and take their hand or pick them up, so to speak. Levy, mm. um, it's, it's a wonderful question you ask because this is exactly the biggest, kind of almost the nub of the problem. It's that fear of, okay, but these scenarios, we have to intervene, that sustains the system that we have. And as you were asking the question, I thought of, of several scenarios of, of clients I've worked with, but I also want to make the differentiation. As much as I can talk about those examples, 
I can also talk about times when I've been in hospital, when I was seen as one of those clients, if you like, when as much as I know how desperate, I, I took myself to hospital on, on, on the last time I was ever in hospital, long story, but, but it was because I didn't feel safe anymore, okay? And I couldn't let myself leave for 10 and a half weeks because I, I could not get the, 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 the compulsion that felt, I knew I just couldn't live with this anymore, so I didn't feel safe. Mm. Um, but I talk about a phrase now, which is, is cradling someone through, I, I, I commonly talk about it in the context of cradling someone through psychosis. I'm aware I'm, I'm introducing a term that, that is far too flippantly used and, and very little understood, the concept of psychosis, because psychosis and somebody being um, psychotic and, and a psycho are not one and the same thing. <laughs> yeah? so anyone hearing this, psychosis is a very broad term that in truth really relates to somebody who, who appears to be out of touch with reality. But as soon as we ask the question or point out that everyone lives in separate realities, we, we open the space, the idea that whatever they're going through, they're experiencing their reality. And simply interfering or, or stopping, in my opinion, only leads to almost creating a trauma that, 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 has, that, that, that causes problems down the road. Hmm. I can think of, as I said, numerous examples where I've worked on, on, on wards that are locked wards, where the individuals are quite often on a section, one form or another, sometimes for three or six months, that, that they're at the mercy of the psychiatrist leading that ward, and they are very often tragically uh, given a lot of sedative medications to make them e more easily manageable because they're exhibiting behavior that is, from the perspective of the system, unmanageable. Yeah, And I can't think of a client I've worked with that has truly been unmanageable when given the time, when given, and when I use the term love, I don't mean it in the conventional sense. I mean it in, when given the love as a human being who can sit with that person. Like the respect almost. Yeah. Who, compassion, understanding. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a trained professional as such. It, it requires, I've seen it with all sorts of different instances of not, of different family members or friends, but there'll be someone who can be with that person on a quiet level, however distressing the person's behavior might be, and, and, and I could give all sorts of examples of things, but actually when someone sits with someone and lets them calm down, lets them let out some distress sometimes, but gradually, but sits there without judgment, sits there without fear, it's almost as if the energy's balanced. And that person's energy will, in the same way as when you have a child that's in screaming and screaming and they talk about skin to skin, but you hold that child to your chest. You keep yourself calm and gentle. And it's miraculous how that child will slowly calm down. Mm. Yeah? The, 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 the heart rate softens and their distress eases. And when that happens, the ability to, that essence of us, that, that inner voice that every single one of us experiences, even when it's racing and telling us a million different things in, in some states of distress, when it eases, it allows that space for, for communication. Even if the communication might appear to be, to, to an observer, uh, what's an appropriate phrase, um, I'm going to just say it, it might appear to be crazy, it might appear to have no connection to, to sense, normal life. 
we can communicate in, in, in different ways. And, and the point is we can tune into each other. Mm. And in doing so, we, it, it proven to me time and time again that the power of comforting, the power of connection, helps that person slowly emerge. Even when they can be under tremendous amounts of sedative medication, I've still seen that ray of light appear. Mm. And so in that instance, sadly, we don't, we don't provide that understanding to people who are supporting uh, people in the, in the greatest form of distress. So as a result, to, to, to keep the people supporting them safe, we find ourselves giving more and more sedative medication. Whereas actually the concept, in coming back to your question about what do we do with that person who's really at the point that kind of we have to intervene. And I talk about this concept of cradling them through, being there with them, not on your time frame. Yeah, so often one of the things we struggle with, and it comes back to what you mentioned earlier, the kind of concept of a problem, mm-hmm. is we want life to work to our time scale. You want like quick fixes. Yeah, let's get this sorted out. You know, and we have a sense of we're encouraged more and more in our own lives to, to 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 have dreams, aspirations, and and what we're we're working towards, and and when life isn't going along with that, and we're not we're not succeeding. Mm-hmm. And that fails to see what life's about, in yeah. a way. But, yeah. but coming back to your question, what do we do? I think you're asking in, in such a situation. Right, and it doesn't have to be an extreme case of psychosis, or it can even be someone who's just in a really bad place that needs an intervention. Yeah. yeah. I think providing the space for genuine connection and time and patience, it can't be stressed enough. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, for so many people, who might be watching a family member as well intentioned as they are, that individual is still busy with their career and their other children, their other family, and might be saying, well, hang on a second, I can't, I can't do that. I can't, mm. I can't do everything else and manage everything else in my life and provide that support. Right. And really, I ask the question that we're so quick when someone has a physical problem, or God forbid someone is, is bereaved. I think of an event that happened only two weeks ago in my personal life. But life is ground to a halt, yeah? We stop everything else because someone's just died, okay? So however busy we are, we're not, we're not truly appreciating the power that human beings have enough to make the investment when it's needed. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to say something quite, quite um, extreme here, but it's really what I've heard from you, Johnny, is that I remember a number of years ago, you went, you went through what would be described as a, as a psychotic episode, for quite a while, for a number of months, mm. you know, and looking at that from the outside, as you say, it looked crazy. Mm. You know, it really did. What the things you were doing and the things you were saying and what was kind of going on in your life, and you know, I think sort of the world around you sort of looked at that and felt that and felt like we got to do something about this. You know, the guy's gone crazy. We got to we got to stop him. We got to intervene. We got to. But hearing from you in retrospect, and and you know, we're a little bit risk averse in our society. You know, so so we are. There is a fear of what's he going to do to himself, and what's he going to do to others, etc., etc. You do need to take that into account on some level. But hearing from you afterwards, you felt that there was a journey that you went on there, mm. and you saw things there, and you sort of developed there, and you got insights during that period that remain with you till today. You know, and, and I think we're very black and white about these things. No. Psychotic episode, no, 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 that, that's no good. That's, that's a terrible thing. We've got to, 
we've got to stop that and we've got to intervene and we've got to change that because and I think it comes back to fear again yeah. like you say it's the fear maybe of, and again there's a balance but it's a fear for the safety of people around it's the fear for the person's safety for our own safety there's, there's that that's true but I don't think through fear we assist the person no I think that's kind of what you're pointing to. Yeah. I, I see that 100%. And we, might, we, might, we might take away the risk. You don't help the person. But we don't help ourselves either. Yeah. That, as, when we look at ourselves as a wider society, yeah. we have created a, a problem for us as a society because we, we, we haven't helped the distress at the, first, at, at, at the onset yeah. to be able to, to be understood. Therefore, we spend the rest of the lives containing... The problems, yeah. the fear of what it might lead yeah. to. Yeah. You yeah. you mentioned my a, a particular point in my life. May I just say a little bit about that? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so it, it's really interesting because I'm very aware that, that if I spoke freely with this not recording, I would perhaps speak, as I just said, much more freely than I feel I can with a, with the recording on the basis that. I don't want to appear to, to, to be flippant in reference to certain states of mind. And mm. so I just want to kind of put a disclaimer out there that says anyone who thinks they hear something or thinks I, I give a permission or thinks I, I just dismiss certain things I'm about to mention, please, perhaps we do make a space and a time to talk about this a bit more. Because I, the awareness of safety is very important, but the importance of not acting for disproportionate fear enables the individual to to, under, to slowly understand what's going on in their mind. If I give the example, which in my life, um, I, I witnessed others without going into the, the, the details, be psychotic when I was younger, be lose touch with reality, exhibit uh, behavior that from where I was sat and, and others around me no one could relate to no one could understand so it was perceived as crazy and needed to be controlled and the blunt instrument that we have for controlling that is is one of two things and sometimes combined is in extreme cases sectioning so forcibly physically removing the person from their situation and putting them in a space where they can be contained typically in hospital and very often it using medication. Sometimes we might use the medication at home and not need the hospital, but it's, it's slowing the person down. And that individual could be in so many different states of mind, but as I said earlier, they're in their own reality. It's almost like, and this is a bad analogy, but we've all had a dream that's been very intense, that perhaps our need to go to the toilet's woken us up prematurely from that dream. And sometimes we go back to bed and we're, or maybe it's just me, but we can be a little bit confused in the aftermath of trying to piece together, perhaps even we go back to bed trying to get back to that place. Mm -hmm. If someone has experienced, a, a, um, had an experience in their life that was so intense and been forcibly removed from it or, or put to one side or, or interrupted, there's a human confusion that arises, particularly when that individual might thereafter be told that their actions were, uh, were dangerous, were damaging, were problematic, were the symptoms of illness, and that they can't go back to, yeah? So therefore they must take this medication and by, in some instances, be on a, a community treatment order where they're forced to comply 
because it's deemed that they, they're a risk to themselves or others if they go back there. And yet, on a human level, there's a human being who, who was in their experience who's trying to understand and trying, crucially, to differentiate from themselves where, where they are, where, where is the point of who they are, and the point of illness. Mm. Yeah? Where, 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 where does the personality exist and where does the, the illness exist? Mm. Experiences they had that were very real, that you mentioned that, that despite me having gone through what was deemed to be a, a period of psychosis for a few months, there were certain experiences I had that were as tr profound and true during as they remained thereafter. Mm. You and I spoke a lot during that time and thereafter, and I think it would be fair to say in the initial aftermath, you were quite skeptical. Yep. And, and fair to say. almost encouraged me to kind of not throw out, but, but really let go of perhaps anything and everything that had been in my mind in that time. Yeah. And I remember saying to you, Show, well, you know something, I, I, I fully accept there was an awful lot of bathwater that I need to throw out. But in that bathwater, I, I knew intrinsically there were a lot of babies, mm -hmm. a lot of things mm -hmm. that I didn't want to throw out of mm -hmm. the bathwater. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't, I, I knew that I had to be wary. I knew that I had to not, to let it, let the dust settle. But I, you were kind enough to suggest earlier that, uh, or say, and uh, certainly I would say that, thank God where my life is at these days, I'm incredibly grateful for. I meant, spent a long time not imagining that I would be able to have the life I have and am able to enjoy now with, with a wonderful partner and, and best with two children and living a life working in an area that, that I never thought would be sustainable because mental health is, is not paid very much and yet feeling as fulfilled as I do. I, I hold tr many things that I experience in that period of psychosis have fundamentally influenced my life now mm -hmm. and I wouldn't have the life now with the clarity and, and peace and ease of mind that I'm grateful for if I hadn't seen that through seen allowed myself to and perhaps again I'll, I'll say this another time but allow myself to know if I truly would become manic so just to, to give the, the reference within my diagnosis of bipolar bipolar what used to be called manic depression periods of extreme depression and the, the, the potential for periods of extreme mania I as many that I, I also run a bipolar support group so many people I see never actually have that that true mania they're, they're diagnosed with it because of repeated periods of depression and, and higher periods that might be classified as, as hypermania. And as a result, and, and psychiatrists fear that they're, they're given the diagnosis of bipolar and they're treated to prevent potential manic episodes. Mm. But the individual, certainly for me, lives in that state kind of questioning, well, but how is that? I've never been manic. I'm taking this medication that, that, that has, has side effects and perhaps is causing me to feel on the, on the more depressed side of the spectrum. Have I, and then I've been depressed, and we wonder why people in that situation so often stop and start medication, because it doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. I had had, prior to this point you, you mentioned a few years ago, I'd had three points in my life when it had been suggested to me that I was manic. The first time around, when I was um, 23, I had done everything I could to try and learn from, from things I'd seen in my childhood to acknowledge that if someone was suggesting I might be unwell, that I might be so unwell I wouldn't recognise it and therefore to, to listen to that fear. And as much as I would try and explain why I didn't think it was the case, eventually 
go along with people's fear to, to ease their, their concern, yeah? And change the course of my life as a result. And it did, surprise, surprise, it didn't result, it, it didn't come to a great outcome as much as it stopped things that people feared would happen, well, I, I would say they wouldn't have happened. But that's another question. The second time round, I kind of said, well, I probably shouldn't say it, but, but to hell with them, if you like, I'm going to take the path that, 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 that I'm determined to because if I don't, whatever, whatever. And the third time, I kind of allowed myself to trust myself. Now, you having just said that, well, it was a period of psychosis, someone would say, well, you're an idiot. You trusted yourself, but you were psychotic. Mm -hmm. And yet, I didn't, I still checked in with some people, people who, like yourself, who were open-minded enough to, I remember having conversations saying, Cheryl, I, I know this might sound crazy. Can I check in my thinking with you? And you, on a number of occasions, one phrase that stuck with me, you said, Johnny, I, I think you're being hoodwinked by your thinking. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, I, I've heard you, and I can see that, that that you're not a danger to yourself or others. And to an extent, you encouraged me to run with it. Mm -hmm. uh, do you recall that? I do, yeah, I do. With with, with reservation, you know, like you say, I, I was very. Um, there was concern there in yeah. terms of you with you, you know, whether you were a danger to yourself or to others. But but at the same time, I did recognise and respect that you were going through a process. Mm -hmm. That I, I, you know, it was new for me. This it was quite a while. What was this? Ten years ago? Uh, no, this was seven, seven, eight years ago. When you went to Egypt that time? Yeah, two thousand thirteen. Yeah. Really? Eight years ago. Gosh, it seems that a long time ago. Yeah. But <laughs> anyway, um, so, you know, I, I was less experienced mm. in, in this type of thing, so I was a little nervous. But at the same time, I did, there was a trust I had in you, mm. that, that you kind of were going down a direction. There was, there was a deeper part of you that was sort of driving you there. And, and I was interested to see kind of where that led whilst trying to be responsible as well as somebody from the outside. It was a difficult balance, yeah. I have to say. And so I'm going to reference a term here, which is why I gave it the kind of um, the, the, the adult safety guidance warning earlier, because <laughs> this term is banded around a lot and it's not that I'm using it as a free license for anything. But the term that was first coined, I think, by a, a New Zealand psychiatrist, Patty Randall, Dr. Patty Randall, concept of a spiritual emergency, that, that we can't, if we look objectively at the experiences of people deemed to be mentally unwell, we can't fail to see certain patterns, certain um, criteria, if you like, that have become pre present, recognised as presenting symptoms, things that someone might present with and we might therefore help us deem that they be unwell. One of which, commonly talked about, is, is the messianic complex, that someone might be showing up with what appear to be and what, what, what are very profound revelations almost to them, out of character with who they've been to that point in their life, and. Um, and therefore alarming, if you like. This was someone who was conducting their life in whichever way, and suddenly they're speaking in a way that, as if they, who do they think they are, the Messiah? Yeah. Even if, let's be clear, most of them don't think they're the Messiah, nonetheless, they're speaking about things in a very profound way. They've had a moment of, I'm gonna use this word guardedly, but a moment of revelation in their mind, they believe they have, and they're, I can't fail to see, as I work with so many different clients who've gone through experiences like this, that there is something that's shown up for them. It might be, and I use this term quite deliberately, might be mind-blowing in that instance, because sometimes it is quite, uh, in contrast 
to what their life is at that point in time. But just because their life appeared successful and, and like they were doing the right thing, it may have redirected them on a path that... It's difficult when I say this, because it's not who's to judge, it's not about judging, but perhaps it needed to happen to help them get to a healthier place mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't sit easy with us as a society or as, as, as family members or friends of people who appear to be taking a massive leap out of their life, as it, as, as it was seen that I did. Yeah. I, yeah. And yet, I, so, so putting that whole experience to one side, because we could talk about it for hours, the key thing that, that I will be forever grateful for, as much as I have sadness and regret that I inadvertently caused distress and concern and, and suffering to some people, not in a way you might imagine, but, but because of their disease and, and their... And because of some things I said in a, in a less guarded way to some people, um, I believe I had to go through that to know, if you like, the, the, the potential breadth of my experience, my human experience, to, to have what might have been perceived, or what was in the medical vision uh, definition, a manic episode. To have one of the experiences that up until that point I was being medicated to prevent, to understand myself better. <laughs> It's all well and good saying, oh, well, well, be aware of your early warning signs and stuff to someone who's never really understood where that goes. Does yeah, that make sense? It makes a lot of sense, Johnny. What, what I'm hearing is, and, and I don't know what we're going to do with time here. You know, there's so much more to be said. It might be that we should maybe kind of do another yeah, one, do a, part you know, two, yeah. do a part two of this. So maybe I'll kind of wrap up what I think you're saying, mm -hmm. and I wanted to kind of say something else. And then, you know, let's see kind of the interest and, and uh, I'd love to do a part two. Sure. We didn't get to talk about medication really yeah, either, yeah, which absolutely. is, I think, a big topic. Um, what I'm hearing and throughout this discussion is that we have to be careful not to sort of disrespect the human experience. Mm. Let's put it that way. And, and not to, to sort of judge people, judge how they behave, judge how they are, judge what they're doing. And, and, and sort of look at it from the outside and say, oh, that's a really terrible thing for a person, or, or a person shouldn't be going through that, or we don't want a person to go through that, or, or you know, and, and, and not, in my mind, there's a certain trust that we could have, you know. When I cut my finger, I trust that it's going to heal. I, I don't still start all interventions. I mean, sometimes maybe it needs a little bit of help there, you know, a few stitches if it's a big cut, but, but even when you put stitches in, all you're doing is trusting that the body's going to heal it. You just want to give a little bit of a helping hand there. And it seems like we don't feel the same way when it comes to sort of the, the mental field, the field of, of mental well-being. We don't trust people. We don't trust that, like you're saying, somebody going through a psych psychotic episode, there's, there's a reason for that. There's, there's something meaningful in that for them. There's something valuable in that for them. There's a, it's part of their journey in life. There's, there's, a, there's a learning experience that they go through. We, we're very, very judgmental. No, 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 we need to solve that. We need to fix that. We need to sort that out. And what we end up doing is we end up sort of twisting people out of shape. Instead of supporting them going through their journey, we define the journey for them. We say, this is what needs to be done from the outside. Now, how can we do that? We're not that person. We're not that human being. We're not, we're not on their journey with them. You know, surely... What I'm hearing you say is that, we, and, and I definitely am very sympathetic to it, that what we, what we should be trying to do and the direction we should be looking in is to, instead of intervening and solving people's problems, which as you say, we don't do anyway, mm -hmm. 
you know, I mean, it looks to me like, uh, I don't know the statistics, that the mental illness is only getting worse in our society, not, not any better. So, so we're not solving their problems. Mm-hmm. And, and what I see in sort of the standard conventional field, the best you do for people, for the most part, is get them functional. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and they can kind of do okay with life. But, but it's rare that you see somebody like you who has such an extreme diagnosis and yet you do really well with life. You know, you're, you're more than functional. You are, you're in a, a peaceful and nice and comfortable state and you, you do well, you know, you do really well in life, Johnny, from my, my experience. So, so we, we have this disrespect for the, for the human experience and, and I think we would do better, uh, um, and I think you certainly, you know, in agreement with this, if we would sort of allow people to heal themselves more whilst, whilst supporting them and giving them massive, massive, massive support on that journey mm-hmm. and love and compassion and, and being there for them and, and respect for who they are. I, I think that approach might perhaps be more helpful. I mean, we're not doing what we need to be doing as it is, so you know, surely we should be looking for alternatives in this direction. To me, I, I see an example with you and I see, see lots of other people who have found their way but it's not been through the system that's found their way. The system might have supported them and helped them and assisted them, but ultimately they found their own way. And you're somebody who's really found your own way. And just to, just to finish off with one, one kind of final point that you touched on earlier, and, and sort of as a rabbi from a Jewish perspective, you know, you, you, you mentioned this, and, and you know, Psyche was the Greek uh, goddess of the soul. And, and to me, that's what this should be all about. That's what psychology and psychiatry was originally about, to give it that name, I suppose, that's what people believed it to be, mm-hmm. is trying to heal souls, not, not manipulate minds to try and fix them and sort them out and rejig them so that the person kind of gets on with life. It's trying to touch something deeper in a human being. Mm-hmm. And, and it's certainly my strong belief, I know yours as well, that there is an underlying well-being, there is an underlying health inside of every human being in this world. I don't care how they present themselves, I don't care how they show up, there is an underlying health. And to go looking for that, and to go finding that, instead of trying to rejig things and solve how they're showing up and solve the experience they're going through, I, I think it's so much more helpful to go looking for the health, to point them towards the health, to go find the health, to trust that there's health there, to teach them that there's health there, to give them the confidence. You know, you were... You, you, you said a couple of times here that your, your confidence was shattered by the whole experience, mm. you know? You, you lived in fear, you lived in worry of this most demon inside of you that was ready to jump out at, every mo- at any moment. Instead, if we could point people to the fact that there is, there's godliness in there, there's a soul in there, there's, there's health in there, I think if we could start putting people in that direction, that's what I'm hearing from you as well, I just think we could be so much more helpful mm. and so much more of assistance to people who are suffering in, in, in the way that so many people are suffering today. Definitely. And, and so uh, thank you, thank you, yeah. Levy, and mm-hmm. that was a really very enjoyable session and, you know, maybe we can pick it up again. And Yeah. If anyone more. watches it and wants the part two, it would be, be great to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, thanks, Johnny, for coming. Yeah, thank you so thank much. Thank you for having me. Okay, great. Thanks, guys. Hi there, listener. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Better Call Shell. Look out for our upcoming episodes. We'll be talking about topics like suicide, homelessness, recreational drugs and religion, and Jewish gender equality. 
Look out for new episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all of your favorite listening platforms. And you can follow us, Tekken London, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, plus our website, tekken.co.uk, for more great content. If you like this episode, share it or tell a friend. Let us know what you think. Send an email to levi, L-E-V-I, at tekken.co.uk. Hey, we might even discuss it on another episode. Thanks again for listening.